0: Is a member of the great
1: big owl family. Hello, welcome back to Smash Pod. This is part 2. If you want to hear part 1, why not go back and listen to that? In the meantime, here's part 2. I hope you enjoy. I really do. <laughs>
0: Pod, Royale.
1: Also, when we we're talking about Dalton not delivering jokes very well, yeah. when he delivers the final, he got the boot. Was, it, again, it doesn't come out very well. It's not that
2: bad. See, now that's mm. a great moment where you just think, what a beautiful little image. So that huge fight on the plane and the moment of death is, actually, I could just cut my boot laces because mm. he's holding onto my boot. And Necros realising it. And, and pleading with him not to do it. I just thought, again, it is such economy and it feels real in a way that some of those much more pantomime deaths don't in yes. other films.
1: Also, the stunts are amazing. The
2: stunts are amazing. This was, I think, one of the only times they had to um, use an emergency parachute Real because you know they're fighting on the back of that plane, and one of them did lose his grip and yeah. fell off, so he did have to deploy the parachute. Also, they
1: said that it was getting so windy they were worried about getting knocked unconscious because they were getting because, thrown yeah, the whole thing the was been
2: thrown back into the plane. Yeah, they shot where did they shoot? Was they shot that over Morocco? I think it was something PGA. like that, yeah. and but it was shot in Morocco, all yes. those scenes, weren't they?
1: Yeah. Also, John Reese Davis is good in this. Yes, he's funny. seeing John Reese Davis. I
2: was just thinking of that mad rant he did on Question Time. The weird thing is, he looks exactly the same 30 years later. He does. It's just Just got more angry. He's just very, very, very angry.
1: He's just obviously just fermented.
2: He seems such a nice person in all these indie films. He does.
1: Everyone loves Salah. He doesn't get to shout at any women in this, though. So yeah,
2: there's, a whole, uh, there's another dodgy mistress relationship. I and mean, Maybe there's some mirroring there. If you think about Georgie and Kara, mm. it's also him and his girlfriend. Who's, she was quite a famous model, wasn't she? Been on she was the cover Sports she Illustrated. She was,
1: and she was in Mad Max too. She's one of the freedom fighters Max has been yeah. in Mad
2: Max, she, Max. I mean, she's very she's athletic, but she's, it's quite a thankless role. She's kind of his mistress. and She does get roughed up a bit she by does, Bond, which yeah. is quite nasty. And I think it's interesting. I'll be honest and say, while I, no, I don't like it, it sort of feels consistent with Bond in a way that I can tolerate mm. because you feel that that's his world it's quite a I love a nasty that
1: scene world. though I love the fact that you think because he says you know if, if anyone has to p- kill Pushkin, it should be me because yeah. I know him, yeah, and then he goes there, <clears throat> Pushkin thinks he's going to kill him, and then he says you know if I'd have killed you, if I believed it, I would You'd have be killed dead you. by now and then he says then I must die, and that brilliant scene where he's wearing the fake blood
2: yeah, and I just think you know there's some really good plot twists in it and you have this real sense of this morally quite ambivalent world where, you know, you, the Russians have sort of become friends. Yeah. Um, but they have all these kind of covert relationships where, you know, they, they're living the high life. And um, so it's...
1: That's what I don't understand because, you know, Gogol, there's a character in all the Bond films who's like the, like yeah, the who was quite
2: the actor was quite ill by now, wasn't
1: he? Yes, he was. That's why they reduced He's his He's only child. in it for about 10 seconds yeah. at the end. But they're friends. The, yeah, the same he was time, supposed got, to in *Spy Who Loved Me*. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. actually, he's in um, *From Russia with Love*, playing a different character I see. Okay. when he's young. But yeah, the character. Yeah. Um, but um, he's all friendly and lovely with everybody at the end, as per usual. But at the same time, you've got this war going on in Afghanistan that we're supposed to be. Do you
2: know? Now that you've pointed it out, that doesn't make sense. It's does a it? bit.
1: It's a bit of a weird contradiction. Surely they should be saying, "Can you have a word and stop that war or something?"
2: Um, I mean, it was there, Vietnam. There's terrible stories about what happened to all the young Russian conscripts who went yes. out there and got k- kidnapped, mm. um, captured. Um, yeah, it got awful. Um, I once Until Rambo turned up. Until Rambo turned up and, it. Turned up yeah. and sorted it. Yeah. Now, I once had a chance to go to Afghanistan, and it, in a way I would love to go, but it's just so dangerous and it's heartbreaking. Mm. What's happened to that country? Yeah. Um, but Pretty much intriguing. since
1: the 70s, it's just been torn apart, not it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, you know, the only way you can travel now is kind of in a in a compound, but it is really interesting as a moment of of a, a snap in time of showing the politics of that era is is the portrayal of them and it is the i think the only really overtly political yeah. bond where you really have a sense more than just a generic cold war background of a particular conflict and of course that I found quite moving end when um, Kamran Shah and his mates all turn up late at the opera, and they say we'll be held up at security, and they come through dressed as you know, as Taliban warriors with their bandoliers and their yeah, and their guns, and rifles. And um, and I think isn't isn't M looking a bit missed?
1: Yeah, he is.
2: Um, but it's there's an innocence about that, isn't there? Yeah,
1: it's it's silly Bond innocence.
2: Yeah, but really, it's also it? the gang's all here. Mm. And there are are there any other films which quite have that feel? Until you get to, what was not the late latest one? What was the one before? Where at the end it was um, there's like this like they're a bit like the Scooby Gang. You know, the um, Ben Wishaw oh, and Inspector. Naomi Harris and. <laughs> Um, is it Turner the Rory Kinnear character yeah. and you'll turn up in a car
1: yeah and Ray Fiennes is there as well yeah but yeah.
2: The, the, the young the kind of you know young gang mm-hmm. and there's, there's something quite nice about their friendship and I think that's the closest I've seen to what this film captures, which is the sense that they've formed these new friendships
1: well that's what's nice about Gogol because he was always in the end of every Bond film I, Usually
2: peering through the window.
1: Yeah, well, at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me... Oh,
2: so that's the other thing I really like mm. about this film. Go on. This isn't a voyeuristic film. You know, so you think about The Spy Who Loved Me, and I do love it in many ways, but you yeah. know the end where they're peering at them in the sub, having Keeping sex, the British end upset, and, it's, yeah. and Moonrake and all those others. Mm. In this film, think about how it ends. Bond, I mean, you could argue, God, it would have been nice if he turned up for the concert, but he deliberately doesn't. He's hiding in a room, so no-one even knows he's there. Mm. And um, he got
1: called away on a mission. And then
2: days, the yeah. camera... Moves and they're behind a, a screen, so you're not going to see it. Now, they couldn't resist adding an oh, James, but apart from that, that's one of the reasons it's so romantic. It's a it doesn't the, um, go there, the but it leaves as well. It.
1: Nice. a nice callback with the key finder, the whistle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. no, I agree, yeah. it's a lovely ending.
2: And although it seems a cheesy shot, it's kind of appropriate in a way is at the very end of the closing credits it comes suddenly brings up a still of the two glasses of mm. the martinis and a rose and i know like a little kind of rosebud, it's kind of like the cheap thing you'd buy in a restaurant because someone was going around with them but it just reminded you that this film is a genuine romance mm. it's a proper love story oh,
1: yeah, it absolutely is that's what's really nice about what it.
2: happened between the end of this and the um license Less to kill, the kill then when he comes back all single
1: yeah i don't know she he's, he's bitter about off. being single, though, isn't he?
2: Yeah, maybe she went off and became a huge star.
1: I reckon she did. Men don't like that.
2: Yeah. The other interesting actor we should talk about is, um, is it Jeroen Krabi?
1: Yeah, Dutch actor.
2: who's brilliant. Again, isn't afraid to play him. this coward. Yeah. You know, this handsome coward. He's very vain and narcissistic and kind of preening around in his pants and his um, dressing gown. But did you ever see Crossing Delancey, which is one of the mm. great um, rom-coms of the... Oh, it's 1988...
1: Something like that, yeah. It's, it's
2: pretty contemporaneous, and mm. again, he turns out to be—you know—he's quite a creep, but he's quite a romantic and convincing he's creep. He's been in a lot of things, of didn't he? Yeah. I watched *The
1: Fugitive* again recently. He's the he baddie in that? and that, yeah. He's great in this. I love his energy. Yeah, he's such a little snidey sod all the way through it. And I love yeah. his hero worship of Bond at the beginning when he rescues him.
2: Yeah, and he sort of hears that sing-song voice and really he yeah. gets really excited about what's in the hamper, which comes back too. So you and I yeah. both did the Sing for the BBC Radio 4 Extra over Christmas, oh, yes. where um, we were asked about you know, what would give Bond for Christmas, what he'd give us. Yeah. And I said Bond would give um, a, a hamper, like a Fortnum and Ma- This don't yes. say Fortnum and Mason because it's BBC, but yeah, I'm yeah. going to Fortnum and Mason hamper, because actually I think his real love is kind of fine food. I think he's got an eating disorder at heart.
1: <laughs> well, he does change the hamper in this, doesn't he? He's quite OCD about it. He says some of the questions, yeah. some of the uh, selections were questionable. Yes, yeah, so he I kind of the, upgraded them all. Which is did.
2: just, again, it's mm. lovely because it feels consistent with the world of Bond, whether you mm. read the books or not. Um, and it's a very Roger Moore thing to have done as well, isn't it? Yes. You know, then handing the bill. Uh,
1: again, that. this is what I mean. I think this script probably started off with Roger Moore in mind, maybe. Yeah. I think it was put together very quickly. In terms of the casting and everything, and Roger had the uh, always had the habit of dropping out of the uh, you know saying yes to the eleventh hour because the screen tests all oh, over yeah. the the screen tests everywhere are actors that tested for Bond films like James Brolin does one for Octopussy, Sam Neill does one for this one.
2: You know, it's one thing when I interviewed Sam Neill he's one of the finest interviewees I've ever had. he's oh, so much you. fun. And one thing the press people said advances don't bring up Bond, and I thought, you know what? I don't need to. Why should we bring it up?
1: Why not bring it up?
2: Because I don't know I don't what the story is, but well, they did, some people did want him, didn't they? And yeah. I think he would have been great. His screen
1: test, brilliant. But
2: why should he be defined by what he didn't get for whatever reason? Mm. He's done other great stuff.
1: Well, he's always good. It, and
2: it? I, maybe it's the implication that somehow he's a failure because he didn't get it, and he isn't. Oh, he's God, absolutely no! absolutely wonderful.
1: Not. I mean, Hunt for the Wilder People, just the, one of the latest things he's done, it's just stunning performance in that.
2: Yeah, I, was, I think I really felt him when he did... Oh, the Ivanhoe he did with James Mason... It's oh, TV Ivanhoe, 1980 ish. It was with Anthony Andrews as Ivanhoe. And I forgot right. the thing is, Ivanhoe just gets sick and is wounded for quite a lot of the film. It's quite, you know, not really, doesn't do that much. And it's, mm. he played the whoever the other guy is. Is it Guy of Gisborne? I don't know. He's more the Robin one. Hood, isn't it? I might, they might be of overlap okay. in their world. Yeah, I have
1: no idea. No, um, I've not seen that. I love him from Jurassic Park, obviously.
2: You know, James Mason was his mentor. No. Yeah, so you know, there's a story. So no. I, I, I'll post a link as well. I, when mm. I interviewed him, we talked about it. When he was very young, like he'd made, what's the first film he made in Australia? I think James Mason had s- seen him in something. I don't know whether he got a note from James Mason or they worked together on something. But anyway, James Mason became, became his friend and whenever he went to London, he would stay with him and his wife. Wow. And he got all these tips from him. And he said things like, in a scene, never be seen eating. Because you'll end up just eating loads of pies and you'll just get really fat. Right. And um, another thing about smoking as well. Never be seen eating or smoking because, again, you'll just end up having to do 50 takes and Mm. you'll just feel really sick at the end of it. And then there was another one about, oh, yeah, when you're leaving a room, work out where the door is and make so you really know where you're going and it was something to do with, so you really own the shot as you walk out. You need to hear it. But it was just, like, really lovely, specific advice. Wow. That just changes the way you own the film that mm. you're in. Oh, is that sweet? And he used to go skiing mm. together and stuff. And, yeah, he basically mentored his whole career.
1: I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. An unlikely friendship.
2: I know. Lovely. Oh, I
1: love stories like that. I know. But he would have been good.
2: There's a whole parallel world, isn't there, of the Bond films. You know, what they should do is, like Big Finish, there's all those um, Doctor Who mm. audio adventures with you know, people like Paul McGann or John Hurt. Yes. Not, you know, well, they did do some of John Hurt, didn't they? But they is. certainly use Derek Jacobi now as the War Doctor. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, Doctors never quite were. Maybe they should do a whole load of James Bonds. I know Toby Stevens does all the audio ones.
1: He's good. Um,
2: but do some of the. Most well, of the other actors don't want to do it because they no, didn't do yeah. it. I think that's the oh. thing is you've got to work out, you know, like, like, you know, the war doctor, the whatever doctor. Mm. Do you want the, the SAS Bond? Yes. Or do you? You do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I like the Shakespearean Bond. I like the Bond no, who actually yeah. knows something about classical music and reads books, but not to be pretentious, but because he genuinely does. Mm. Um,
1: Inspector Morse Bond.
2: Oh, God, no. Inspector Morse. <laughs> Have you ever really looked at how misogynistic those stories are?
1: Yes, actually, yeah. I've ghastly. been re-watching them. Yeah. Utterly God. He doesn't like women at all. no. He sees them as just a complete nuisance, apart from when he wants to have sex with one. Just give
2: it to Christmas. So, you yeah. know, I mean, I know they didn't use much of our answers, but I'd really thought about mine, and it was like, what would you give Bond for Christmas? And obviously, I wouldn't have to give Timothy Dalton them, but it would be a load of condoms and an appointment at the STD clinic. And I thought that was a really nice present. And I remember the British saying, you know, I don't think we're going to use this. Now, are you sure? But it's a, it's a well-meant present.
1: I had loads of answers like that, and they said, so we're not going to be able to use it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be... Um, Sorry, everybody. I thought it was going to be like I was all doing it all together. I
2: know. So you mean Charlie Hickson?
1: Yeah. They told me that, and I was like, oh, great, and I got there. It's been go- really
2: hard to get us all together. They I have know. no time, and they edited it really nicely. I got a lovely letter from a listener who noticed that underneath the, the edit, there was a really jazzy version of the Thunderbolt theme, yeah. and he wanted to know where it was from, so I've asked the producer if he could answer it.
1: It was great, though. If the producer this thing, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, Luke's a
2: brilliant, brilliant producer. Mm. Um,
1: and it was really nice to hear it. I thought it was done really well.
2: It was. I've got more notes, but go on, You move me on. We've got oh. to. We've done with with Pushkin. We've dealt with aspects of the plot. If we like the plot. Mm. Uh, um, Joe
1: Don Baker's interesting, only because two films later he's back in it as a different character.
2: Who is he? Two films later in
1: Goldeneye, he becomes Jack Wade, which is that their new Felix. Oh yeah. But their CIA guy. He's what in is it two about
2: films. Them reusing the same actors in different. Actually, I don't know.
1: They just don't seem to care. It's like Doctor Who do it as well. Yeah, the it is. Time. It's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. It's
2: very comparable. It's a kind of closed world and once you've entered it, you can move around within it. Yeah. Like having the same Bond girl turn up in different films. And yeah. different, like she's a villain one time and then she's not. Maud Adams yeah, isn't that's too, right. isn't
1: she? Yeah. I just think this, it's, a, it's a franchise built on denial because one minute you'll look like Roger Moore, the next minute you look like Timothy Dalton and you're just like, okay. Um, but yeah, Joe John Baker's interesting because um, his, his, his villain, I always felt that, I felt like this and Octopussy might have slight problems with having one too many villains because you've also <laughs> I think there's a problem that you have the Afghanistanian bit, yeah. The big battle at the end, the plane you know crashes. You know they put the bomb gets dropped on the bridge. They help all the. Uh, uh, can uh, I just help. say
2: how lovely that even after the big climatic fight, he suddenly realizes the bomb is still inside the plane. Yes. Like it kind of builds and builds on it. Yeah. I love
1: that. It's brilliant, but that should be the end. But then you have to go and get Brad Whitaker and it's fairly anticlimactic, I think.
2: Which is one of the reasons why I like it more because oh. it dares to actually... See, for me, it's all about the deconstruction of toxic masculinity. Sorry, you know, that okay. phrase was going to yeah. come up if you got me doing one of these. Yes. Um, but literally, he's got this place full of dioramas of war and waxwork models of himself as oh. kind of Attila the Hun and all Very the rest Trumpian, of it. Yeah. And it's, it's all taken down. Hmm. And it's not a long fight sequence. It's just um, a final takedown of, um, of his patriarchal... Um,
1: crapness, And he literally gets killed by a symbol of the British imperial... What is it that falls on him? It's a bust of um, Wellington.
2: Wellington. Yeah, I thought it was witty and it didn't no. overstay its welcome.
1: He met his Waterloo. He met his Waterloo. And then, That's uh, a very
2: uh, Sean Connery line.
1: It is, actually. And he does deliver that one well, to be fair. One point to you, Tim. Uh, but I like um, uh, Pushkin coming in at the end and saying... And you think that Georgi is going to talk him round and he yeah. says, send him back in a diplomatic a bag. bag. And then
2: like the look it? on his face, uh, Georgie's face when he's being dragged off where he looks really miffed. What
1: does diplomatic bag mean?
2: Well, in this context, yeah. that they'd probably drug him and smuggle him out without anyone knowing.
1: Excellent. That's why I hoped. I suppose to. But you spoke to Judy T. Wallace.
2: Yeah, is that really her? She needs a blue tick. It is her. So she's on Twitter and she said I was in that when I was talking about how much I love this mm. film. And she is... God, I love Judy T. Wallace. And, and you know, I remember that wasn't long after Life and Loves of a She-Devil, she Devil, was yeah. it? And, she, again, it's one of these careers where you just think like Art Mullicks It just reveals so much. I know we've still got huge issues with how narrow our ideas about who should have leading parts is. Mm. Um, but such a beautiful, interesting um, actress with such a range of talent. And it's actually a really fun part. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you'd think as a, as a kind of bit Bond girl, it, it would have, you know, it would be... It actually enables her to show off quite a lot.
1: Yeah, I like it because it's Bond having friends he can call upon when he needs yeah. favours and that sort like he's of got,
2: thing. He's got this whole ton of network he's cultivated that mm. Saunders has no idea about.
1: Exactly. Saunders' plan was to put him in the boot, first place they'll look. So he takes her to the, the pipeline.
2: Yeah, and so the other thing is, isn't this the same year almost? So it's two years after Top Secret came out, which was that yeah. spoofy film about the Cold War mm-hmm. and crossing the East Berlin border with Val Kilmer and. Yeah. Um, and doesn't it have something similar with someone in a in a in the equivalent of a pig being transported across through a tunnel across the border?
1: I don't think it does. Yeah. No, imagine that. Like, no, the only thing I can remember is they turn on this powerful magnet and a submarine comes through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same thing.
2: Um, but it's done really well. And you know it's comic. Um, and there's a whole thing where they can hear it going through the pipes, can't they, across yep. the border, which is quite silly. Well,
1: that's a brilliant bit because he gets to the checkpoint and he's having his passport checked. They're checking in the boot and everything as he knew they yeah. would. And he looks over and you just see the harrier going above. He's like, that's because I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. Saunders' plan would have got them caught straight away.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And even just, you no, huh? have to show everything, like when he's got the passport photos, oh. the car that he hands over and his I need papers for tonight. You know, he makes a lot of demands on Saunders, but it is Saunders.
1: It is Saunders yeah. yeah
2: um, but you can see it's very precise, there's no time wasting, even when he turns up to be the sniper, um you know he's absolutely ready for action, and I just think you have this sense that he's immersed in the world and he's 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 working but I'm already work.
1: suspicious though, because he says yeah. he asks you personally and he stops what he's doing, and says, "Why me?" Yeah. so he's already thinking something
2: and you see, I've never read a, a Fleming novel, no, um, I've read bits of them, and I just a bit I read was like so weirdly creepily. Uh, sadomasochistic hmm. that I just thought well, I don't think I need any more of this that was just opening a page at random um, but I feel watching The Living Daylights you get all the benefits of the real Fleming Bond with none of the downside yes. I mean, as I say you get that bit of sadism you know it's quite nasty the way he treats Pushkin's mistress yeah. but um, it's all really it's properly gripping and entertaining and he just did such a good job it yeah. really gets me and I do think it was it got a lot of good reviews at the time it
1: did yeah people loved it I think he, Going forward, people always dismiss Timothy Dalton. Oh, he's rubbish. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I wish I could I wish someone would explain to me why. Yeah. So I love this and the next film. I love them so much.
2: Yeah, well I've really I mean I rewatched uh, Licence to Kill and although I remember finding it a bit too nasty at the time, mm. um I think it does hold up well. The plotting is really good. There's all that interesting stuff at Tele Evangelists where again yeah. it's taken quite a contemporary story. Um and and made it a really, again, I just feel like the whole world of James Bond, like the world of Doctor Who, you kind of get sucked into it and it has its own rules mm-hmm. and it's sort of a parallel version of the real world. Yes. You know, it doesn't feel quite real. No, absolutely. But it has its roots in th- in, in things in the real world.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just reacting to what's going on in the, culturally in the world at that time with action movies and stuff. And that's why this one's a bit of a strange fish because there wasn't really any spy films at this time dealing with you know, the Russian situation. So it stands out in that respect.
2: And it's funny because it sort of, you know, it assumes that world is still very static. Mm. And no one knew, I don't think, in 1987, certainly not in the general public, that two years later, you know, the Berlin Wall would come down. So um, maybe part of it was that audiences, to some extent, felt they'd seen it all before in terms of Cold War plotting. You think Mm. how many years those kinds of films, going back to funeral in Berlin and all those other films had been doing it. Um, And so in, in a way, it captures something that's about to disappear.
1: Absolutely, you know. You know they the graffitied. They graffitied the uh, Berlin Wall. The, the Bond production crew. Did they? Yeah, when they filmed Octopussy, they filmed just by the wall. Yeah. For the circus scenes. Yeah. And when they left, they spray painted in giant blue letters, "James Bond was here" on the wall.
2: That's all right, isn't it? I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone. I'd like at. to
1: have that section of wall and put it in my garden. Did it not get sprayed over? Probably by got the sprayed people? over, but they took a photo of it. You can find it on the internet. face those twitter notifications forgot to watch anything but netflix dreading the video conference small talk at nine you need a news vitamin you know
0: you need the smart seven it's a brand new daily podcast that puts your brain into gear everything you need to know in less than seven minutes you need the smarts hey we got the smarts the smart seven every weekday at 7am available right now on spotify and all the usual places plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: I mean, what was interesting was when I went to Vienna that summer, um, 1989 it was the summer before the war came down, and you mm. don't people remember, but East Germans had worked out an escape route, which was you would go on holiday to, um, Hungary or mm. something, um, and you would then seek refuge in the West German embassy and because that was West German territory. And hmm. then they would um, basically evacuate you out to West Germany. And when we left Vienna, we were on the night train to um, um, Aachen, you know, sort of the night train all the way to the coast. I was getting off at Cologne to stay with friends. And the fact that this East German family got in our compartment and we heard their story and they had basically got to I don't know if they got to Hungary or they'd actually got all the way to Austria and were being evacuated to West Germany. And they wouldn't have known that if they'd waited a few more months, the whole wall came down anyway. Wow. It was an amazing time. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't realise then that there was so much more still to come. I look back, I was 21 that summer. And again, that's probably one of the reasons I have this really lovely feeling about those, that period was everything was about to get so much better yeah. for a while.
1: The 90s were all right. The
2: 90s were bloody amazing. The yeah. 90s was an absolutely fantastic decade.
1: If you lived here.
2: Yeah, I suppose in places where it wasn't. But yeah. there was so much that was going on that was progressive. Yeah. And absolutely. it breaks my heart how far back in terms of what seems to be acceptable social attitudes and stuff we've
1: got. Yeah, it's really horrible.
2: I know. Um, and it's interesting because, in a way, the Bond films have sort of held their own. And I think we've met Barbara Broccoli a couple of times. Mm. And I just think she's done so much yeah. to really move Bond in the best most positive way without giving up on any of those things which makes him bond like he's always going to be a bloke yeah you know there's (laughs) no one's going to ever make him not a bloke um and there's always going to be sex and violence but um i just think the way he treats women well well there's still some issues i I mean which is the one you know the one who jumps there in the shower what skyfall i have so many problems everyone's
1: favorite james bond film smear
2: there are so many things that, are, if you took them as a scene, are all right. Yeah. And then the moment you stitch them all together, it just doesn't cohere. There's does a it?
1: few missteps with Bond of late, but she's still doing it, and that's what I really yeah. like about it. And she still cares. And yes. she's, I think she's brilliant, you know, whatever, the, whatever direction they take it in, I'm still going to be a fan.
2: And they're doing something interesting, like they brought Leah Sedu back for the new one. Yes. Um, So that straight away that's interesting when you have something referencing backwards. Yeah. And obviously there's going to be some big shock reveal about her.
1: Her past.
2: Although I I worry a bit that they did that with Eva Green, didn't they, in Casino Royale. I wasn't actually convinced by that. No. Even though I know Casino Royale was a good film in many ways, I can still remember being in the cinema and seeing it. And I love the ending when he says Bond, James Bond only at the very end. Mm. I still think actually when you look into it, there's too much about that film which it's ticking a box, but I don't genuinely believe in it.
1: No, I don't believe. I, I say a lot, but the, the last... Once Le Chiffre dies, yeah. I think it falls off a cliff. And it's just like you say, it's box ticking. We're going to have a house fall down. Why? Because yeah. we can, you know. There you go. But at least this new one's got Phoebe Waller-Bridge working on it, so it's going to have a, a feminine voice in there, which hasn't happened since Doctor yeah. No. Well,
2: should talk, the other thing is that, you know, I spent a lot of last year travelling around Iran. mm and what was interesting, and it was amazing, I always it went to most of the 52 places that Trump is threatening to blow up. It's one of the richest, most amazing cultures in the world. If you have a chance to go, honestly, I, I've never been anywhere like it. Um, and what struck me all the way around was thinking, God, there'd be such a great James Bond film to mm. make here, when and if the government changes and it ever opens up. And so I actually went round it, kind of, I haven't quite got a plot together, <laughs> but basically Barbara when and if iran opens up come to me and we'll do a great james bond film which is set in iran that's where my bond film would be set
1: i don't think she listens and there's to so this. much
2: interesting stuff that you could do with it and and with women and with playing with all those trips because of course britain has a really complex history in iran where you know um, they they're regarded with hostility for a reason. You know, mm. the whole in- interference with oil and their backing of the CIA coup that toppled yep. a d- democratically elected government, the government of Musadek. So they'd be regarded with real suspicion. And so that would make real intrigue for a new bond.
1: They haven't been to Australia either. <laughs> Again, bringing the dynamic of the podcast, you being about culture and me being about... Well, the, you
2: know, climate change is that interesting. You know, the, the whole scene on that icy lake, which is supposed to be especially the Czech border with Austria. Yeah. And it's a proper iced lake in the middle of winter. I know that, that you can still ski and stuff in Europe in winter, but it does feel like, I wonder if ice sets that thick anymore. Probably like not. Climate change is probably changing all these, these images of winter in Europe that we used to take for granted. So you're
1: suggesting that climate change is ruining James Bond?
2: Well, it, I think it might be. I'd
1: like to blame someone.
2: Yeah, and otherwise, I don't know. I mean, James Bond fighting climate change would be quite interesting.
1: I'm blaming Greta Thunberg.
2: Don't blame her. She would be great in a Bond film. She
1: would. As what? M.
2: They need a female M. I do think it was a real mistake killing off Judy Dench. Well, they
1: had she was she, <coughs> she was too old wasn't she to do? She didn't want to do anymore. Too old. Well, I, I she just mean I think do. she felt like she didn't want to do anymore. Maybe, <coughs> but she
2: was so interesting.
1: But I was really excited about Ray Fiennes.
2: Were you? Yeah. I really love Ray Fiennes as an actor, but I just think why have just another? posh bloke doing uh, the I, character i'm not talking about Ray, but yeah, you know no, no, no. i, I, I want, just think what's interesting about the character of m now I want there's bernard, nothing interesting i want about
1: bernard it. lee back you bring him back it's a
2: bit late but you see what i mean you need someone genuinely old and gruff yeah and i just feel they've got another interchangeable privileged white man leading an institution whereas you know i just thought having a woman just straight away every time you saw her It just created a whole frisson of tension, which is what happens when you have women in leadership positions in institutions like that. They're often quite isolated at the top. Mm. Um, You know, It's not as simple as, oh, it's a woman now. There's all the politics that goes with that, which is really difficult.
1: I agree. But I'd like Bernard Lee back. Well, you can't have him back. He's dead. They brought back Peter Cushing for Rogue One.
2: Oh, God, can you imagine if they did that?
1: That would be awful. Don't do that, please. (laughs) Should we do questions? Yeah, go on. All right. Samira, what's the best Bond film?
2: Um, I think it is The Living Daylights, although I really love On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. In a way, maybe On Her Majesty's Secret Service because the whole combination of settings and the slight wildness and the 60s and the dandiness of his outfits, it's so outre.
1: It's also a very, uh, a very loved film. I mean, lots of love in it, even though it's a bit dodgy.
2: I think all James Bond films are a bit dodgy well, so her dad's and, uh, like
1: I want you to love my daughter and if you do there's a million quid in it for you
2: you'll see he looks very nice in a cardigan
1: It does worst
2: um, well you see it's interesting I can't even remember the worst but it'll be one of the ones I'm sorry to say with um, Watson and Daniel Craig in it and yet they all look fine mm-hmm. but I don't. I just don't really like them I think in some ways Diamonds Are Forever does not hold up well but it's such a period piece I remember you did that podcast where you talked about it being like the Nigel Farage's people.
1: Wet dream, yeah. <laughs> the alt-right, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, 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 and for that reason, it's actually quite curiously watchable. But, I think it's lots of fun. But it's very, very um, tasteless. Yes, it is. It's I mean, gawdy. it look, it's dated badly, mm. now it looks quite crass.
1: And Sean looks like he does not care at all. <laughs> he puts on weight, loses weight, puts on weight. There's a bit where you have to be naked and it's just really... Um, 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 you know, when you think about how he used to look.
2: I don't remember when he was supposed to be naked.
1: Well, you, they, they tastefully block out his lower half, but he doesn't. Okay. Anyway. But yeah,
2: so it's not good. But otherwise, I mean, I can't remember. What's the last one? Spectre, the last one. Yeah. I just think the way he walks into a top secret meeting with Spectre and there's no security, you can just turn up. I just find all that implausible. Things like that really undermine those films for me. Yeah, And I, I think they're set pieces strung together without coherence
1: there's that big fight sequence on the train where there's nobody on the train. And I don't like
2: seeing women just killed casually just to replicate, like the one who dies covered in oil and then the one who died, you know, the one he's yeah. shot with a whiskey glass on her head. I just mm. think, I don't like that anymore. I just think...
1: No, no more of that, please. No. Um, can you give me your best Bond film title? Right,
2: so I got this from Gabriel Gatehouse. I saw this morning. I said, what's your favourite Bond? And he said, "Right, well, i told him my favourite Bond title. And it's Pussy*.
1: Like Not nice, like Oedipus. Yeah so, yeah, so
2: the villain would be his father... And it would turn out that the Bond girl is his mother. <laughs>
1: <Bloody> hell. <laughs> <coughs> I wouldn't put it past these films, the okay. Craig films, to have that as a plot. Um, so Bond is full of silly lady names such as Holly Goodhead, Plenty O'Toole, Penelope Smallbone. Give me your best Bond lady name.
2: So I was thinking, inspired by this, she's called Kara and then the name of some Czech yeah. location, I just think I'd give her a nice name Mm. so I think I'd give the first name Shénaz which is the first name of one of my best friends and it's a Muslim name so straight away it's like going there and then I just think uh, her surname would be Bronte because I love the Bronte sisters Shénaz Bronte so she might be she might be northern she might be from like you know Yorkshire and she'd be your Bond girl
1: she doesn't have TB though what? one of the Bronte sisters had TB oh I see
2: yeah yeah, they they did die of consumption and stuff
1: yeah like badgers or is it badgers (laughs) give you TB See.
2: Uh, that's awful! I'm, I'm like I'm official curator thing at the Bronte Parsonage this year. I'm celebrating Anne Bronte's life. You're not going to make casual jokes about badges. Why
1: not? Can you put <laughs> it up, put it in quotes with my name underneath it?
2: So yeah, Shannaz Bronte. I love it. And you call her Shan for short.
1: Sean Bronte. I like it. Yeah. I think it's that's probably the best one so far. Thank you. You uh, are Q. Sorry about that. Mm. Uh, but what gadgets would you have made for Bond in this film if you had your way?
2: Um, so I came up with a tiny self-assembling Corby trouser press.
1: Okay, But why? he probably
2: doesn't need that because he stays in those fancy hotels where yep. there would be a real one.
1: Okay. Um, well, is he one that can like, pull out of his pocket and assemble very quickly? Yeah. It's like Little Nelly, but as a trouser press. <laughs>
2: yeah, I yeah. just thought it would be something sort of Bond-esque. I don't know. I don't, what other gadgets do you need? These? A book. Sorry, it's his gadget. It's a book. So, okay, I've really thought about this. So okay, with a okay, book, okay. one... Um, it actually gives you something to do when you're killing time. Right. Um, two, you could hide things in it. You know, they cut out things and you could put things. But thirdly, you could also hold it in front of your face as a disguise. When Hang you're
1: on. So, people. right, let me get this straight. <coughs> I, I'm James Bond. I'm walking into Q Branch, and you're pitching me a book.
2: <laughs> Have you noticed that he never has one?
1: Well, I know. but And I just get, think
2: it would be really interesting. You can get them anywhere. And also, this is like a, a true thing. I was once reading in the office and reading a library book and, and Jon Snow came over and he said, there is nothing sexier than a womanly le- reading a library book. And he didn't mean it in a creepy way. It was actually one of those fun things. And I just thought, you know, it's true. So it fits all the James Bond criteria. It's a gadget that would make him look sexy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it would genuinely give him something to do. He could hide things in it and he could use it as a disguise.
1: So you're. Uh, and he could hit people over the head hit with, people it. with it.
2: The only thing would be what kind of, like, would it be a, like a, a notebook? But I think it should be like a hardback.
1: Hardback. If it's going to be a weapon. Yeah. You don't want a paperback. or Unless mm. you could give it like paper cuts.
2: But the thing would be to think what would be the title of the book because it would need to have something on the spine.
1: Farewell to Arms. Mm. No, I've like used that in Licence to Kill when he hands over or his gun at Hemingway House.
2: But I don't you think a book is a good gadget?
1: No. But I'm, I'm, I'll celebrate you for thinking that.
2: I thought it was really good, and it would be something like
1: a <laughs> book is not. It would okay. be something
2: quite unexpected, like *The Tenant of Wildfell Hall* by Anne Bronte. Because, because of the, people because don't of The always, bomb girl.
1: Because, yeah, and Bronte. because people
2: don't always remember that, that Anne Bronte. She's the youngest, but she wrote actually the most feminist novel.
1: And she died like a badger.
2: <laughs> you know, she really she's really inspiring.
1: Yes, I'm sure. So some badgers are too. The one in *Winning the Willows*, particularly. <laughs> I've ruined your. I'm so proud of my book gadget. I'm proud of your book gadget, as I say. Uh, I'm sure everybody out. I'm going to patent that. Should you should patent the book? (laughs) See how far you get with that. I (laughs) think I'm going to Dragon's Den and going. I've got a book.
2: (laughs) It's it's yes. It's like it's got pages inside it. Although
1: the way the world's going, maybe books will be a thing of the past. People like Trump coming in, in, and then flushing culture away. Well,
2: you know, the other thing was with the book, if it had one of those built-in bookmarks, it could mm. be like a wire one that you could pull out and turn it into a garrote. So see, even, that's more like it. Yeah you, see, yeah, you see what I mean? You could put a lot into this book. So, so
1: something that's fairly innocent looking. And you could also have uh, a library card in the front that you could throw and it could split people's throats. <laughs> and then you You're could getting say, in the spirit and now. You could say, g-
2: and, you know, like paper cuts. You yeah. could kill someone with a paper yeah. cut.
1: Or like flick it and... a uh, uh, Knife will come out, and you could say something like he was overdue. Oh, yeah.
2: very good! You see, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've convinced you.
1: Yeah, you have. I'm <laughs> fully on board with the book idea. Um, and who would you have as James Bond next?
2: Okay, I've thought about this a lot. Okay, um, and it would be. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, Tom Hiddleston.
1: Oh, I'm not on board. The Hiddleston right. book, should I talk you through this? <clears throat> please, you've convinced me with okay. the book one. I'm
2: really thought about this a lot. Yeah. Um, one like Timothy Dalton. He's a proper really intelligent actor who would completely get into the part. He happens to be an old Etonian as well. Yeah. If you've seen The Night Manager, you've seen the kind of role he played. I interviewed him after, uh, after The Night Manager. We did a whole panel with John le Carre's son and him and the director, one of the other stars. And I was asking about the character, and he suddenly quoted a whole paragraph from the novel, which he just had memorised, about the fact that this character is a kind of psychopath who could have become a villain, but has ended up working for the British Secret Service. Mm. Isn't that the essence of James Bond? Yes. The other thing is... He's young enough. He's exactly the right age. I think he's like late 30s. Yeah. So if you think about, Dalton is just about 40-ish. About
1: 40, yeah.
2: It gives, it's perfect. You know, He needs to be young and fit and lithe enough. And I, and I think that's the other thing. is, um, Hiddleston, I think Spielberg called him the Errol Flynn of his generation. He's got that athleticism. He would look great in the suit. He would be able to do all the stumps. He's very well spoken. Um, and he'd bring a whole generation of fans with him. Yeah. And I think... And I don't know who goes to see Bond films now, but when this one comes out, it'll be really interesting. How old is, is Daniel Craig now? 50. ish And I just think, even if men in their 50s now tend to be very, very, you know, gym-honed and all the rest of it, I just think it's too old. I, I just mean, think you need, you need someone a in their 30s. Point. Yeah, you want, like, so 38 to I, So I think there's a really good case for it. And I just think, you know, from the Bond pre- the, um, franchise point of view, he'd just bring that whole audience with him. I don't. I just think he should be doing Bond and not Loki, but that's my personal opinion.
1: I think there's more money in Loki.
2: Well, also, I don't know why Daniel Craig is... Sorry, is this is my personal opinion. I'm genuinely surprised they didn't go for a different Bond before now, just no, for no. this film. No. I would have thought this film should have been the one that started the new Bond off.
1: I think, and it's there a lot of time when you hear Craig being interviewed, he nearly says it about three times in different interviews, that I think they were... They think Spectre was a low point. And he says... I want to go out on a high, or I wanted to go out on a high. But he, you, you can read into that as an implication to say that Spectre isn't him going out on a high because if you watch Spectre, the end is him driving off in the Aston Martin with his new girlfriend. It's like the end because he's so quit it the is service. The end, yeah, yeah. But obviously, they just watched it back and thought. But it also shows that more.
2: they're willing to stick with him and. You know, it, it does feel like he's got a lot of artistic control over the decision to have come back.
1: Yes, I think he's got... A, that's the thing that used to worry me about him, is he's, he's often a producer on these films as well, so he's got a lot oh, to say. I didn't realise that. Um, but when
2: you say that, is he, he's not putting his own money
1: in there. I he? don't think so. I think he's like involved with the production somehow, because he also helped put together the script of Quantum of Solace and the writer's strike and all that. Did he? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. But um, I think with Skyfall being the most successful Bond film of all time... It would be silly to if you can get one more film out of him, you might as well. Because How he much brings money. has he money done in. now? This will be his fifth.
2: So Casino Royale, Quantum of
1: Solace, yeah, Skyfall, Sky Spectre, Spectre, and then this No one. Time to Die.
2: Titles are really hard. They are. And I've you know I've spent days trying to think of a good title for you, and I can't. I genuinely can't because it's that whole combination of a pun on a saying. Um, and they're often, they're, it's like they're spoken to somebody. Mm. So The Spy Who Loved Me or From Russia With Love is the kind of thing you'd put on a postcard send it to somebody. And there's a real art to those kinds of titles. And then even the short stories like The Living Daylights. you know, it's, it's quite intriguing. What's your favourite Bond title that you've made up?
1: I haven't made one or someone's up.
2: someone's made up.
1: Um, I suppose Joel Morris is uh, James Bond and the Spooky Tree.
2: <laughs> OK, I haven't come up with that on that bad, because I keep thinking about Iran and I have all these images, you know, I suppose it's a bit like constructing a film like Skyfall when you just come up with set pieces mm. I realise how easy it is to come up with really nice images that would fit the James Bond thing, but the key is to piece them together so for example, with a, a film set in Iran you've got all these chases you could do through the bazaars mm. Yaz, the desert city, it's just an amazing country, and it's a country where women are really strong and very educated you know, they make up at least 50% of graduates it's got one of the highest divorce rates in the world because women so educated I think they decide if they, they want to you know, and Islamic law allows you to get divorced, even though there's all kinds of things wrong too. So you'd have—I could just imagine Bond. Do you want to hear about the plot of my Bond film? Please. Okay. So Bond goes out there to rescue some agent who's been kind of captured and's been held in a jail, and um, actually ends up making things worse. That's the thing is, you think Bond's going to go in and fix it all, but actually he just offends the Iranian officials, which is exactly the kind of thing which would happen, and makes it worse. And he has to be rescued by. Um, A British Iranian female agent who basically rescues him. So you'd kind of play with all those ideas about, you know, arrogant male arrogance. Mm. Um and you would I mean, and then I was trying to work out well, you don't want to be too orientalist, but actually it'd be great fun to have an assassin who's a woman in a chador which has got razor blades down the edge, so she would fling her cloak around (laughs) you know, a bit odd jobby. Yeah. Um but again in a knowing way. Yeah. Um, and then there are like, the one place we didn't go which I really wanted to go to was the Castle of the Assassins. What a cool place. What a cool place, um, yeah. Which um, is in sort of central northwestern Iran. But there are places like that where you could have a kind of great, you know, sort of climax. There's also this amazing, actually there is a volcanic lake. It's just like, you know, you only live twice, mm-hmm. that volcano and yeah. it turns out there's a whole base underneath it. I swear to God, there is a place in the middle of nowhere and it's an old Zoroastrian fire temple and it's built around this beautiful blue lake which is an extinct volcano um and the water's blue to be sacred it's incredibly poisonous and it's an abandoned temple which the mongols then built a palace that you can just go as a tourist all these locations you could have these amazing sequences out and you could try to build hideouts and things
1: so maybe for like bond 30
2: well i was thinking you know geopolitics needs to change quite a lot hmm. before iran is going to let
1: 10 years 20 years
2: but it's got the locations are so amazing and they're mm. so unspoiled as well. Um, and there are all these, you know, there are tour groups going through. That's the thing. These Western tourists come through in tour groups. So you could definitely have that scene where he encounters someone and tries to hide in a tour group. Because he does that in Living Daylights, they cut it out, where he gets into the Tangier Conference yeah. by pretending he's in a tour group with a Barbara Woodhouse-esque leader. Oh, really? Apparently she, there's even a photograph of Barbara Woodhouse in the making of book to say that there's a character that was based on her. Wow. And he's with all these kind of middle-aged women um, and then kind of goes in to do the assassination and kind of comes out again. Oh, right. So, you know, the the tour group is quite a trope, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, we were just talking about Octopus my last guest, and there's a bit in that where he gets rescued by a tour group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He swims in the water and there's a boat going past and he gets in.
2: He's on the budget tour.
1: Ah, that's right. This is the budget tour, madam. So think.
2: I have two films I've got saved on Apple Movies on my iPad if I ever get stuck on a train yeah. and too tired to read. One is Octopus and one is the Living Daylights. I can't complain. I got to choose this one. I didn't, you didn't give me a skanky bond this
1: time. I didn't give you the skanky bond. But thank, thank you, Samira.
2: My pleasure.
1: It was lovely to have you back and to talk about a good film. It was. Mind well, you, we did do Hell Drivers. That was good. It
2: was such a good film. You know, and, and Timothy Bedalton is one of those actors I've tried to get to interview loads of times. In many different ways. Mm. And the weird things they've ever got into him, I don't think I would dare raise Bond because I just feel he probably doesn't want to talk about it.
1: He didn't do interviews for years. And then there's that documentary, um, Everything or Nothing. He's in that.
2: Is that a Bond documentary?
1: Yeah. About the whole history of Bond. <clears throat> and he's in that. And I think that's the only time he's ever spoken to it since he stopped. It's good though.
2: He was Heathcliff. He's got a Bronte connection.
1: He, well, he has. He didn't get killed by a badger though. Anyway. Thank you very much for coming in.
2: I feel we've ended on a low.
1: Have we? Yeah. Not with badger death.
2: <laughs> the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Basically, this film marks the start of this amazing, exciting chapter where everything gets better.
1: Not for Felix, but yeah.
2: Not for Felix. And then we end up in this really depressing world again.
1: Yeah. But that's what Bond's for us, escapism. Let's hope the next one's all happy and jaunty. Just imagine—you
2: know—Felix Leiter will have been replaced by one of Trump's personal appointees, mm. who'll be some midwestern donor and lobbyist, and that will be quite fun.
1: That would be fun. But how
2: do how do the British negotiate with kind of the Trump, the Trump regime?
1: That is something they should explore. That would be interesting. Angie Bond's probably a Tory anyway.
2: You don't really want to think too much about him as a real person, do you?
1: No, I don't want to know his opinions about. Who anything. would
2: be your Bond then? Next Bond, real Bond.
1: I like. I like, only really like Dan Stevens.
2: Oh, I like Dan Stevens. I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and he's gone and done that whole reinvention in America, where he lost yeah. loads of weight, got really gym toned, really buffed.
1: Um, the film called The Guest, and he's in that, and he just looks like Bond a lot.
2: I was also thinking, would Tom Hiddleston be the first ginger Bond? Yes. And Dan Stevens, is he is he blonde?
1: He's, He's fair-haired. He's a bit like Daniel Craig.
2: Is there a whole thing about you need to alternate your blondes in brunettes?
1: Yeah, well, Daniel Craig, he was there was a great campaign when he got the gig saying Bond cannot be blonde.
2: Short memories people have. I
1: know, I know. There was another one I thought about recently. I, w- I really wanted Tom Hardy for a while, but now I don't.
2: He's too old as well. Yeah. And the other thing is Tom Hiddleston's got curly hair. There's not enough curly hair.
1: Yeah, I'm not there. not a big fan of Hiddleston you would probably want a lot of money
2: oh as if that's ever a factor
1: is it though i think bond a lot do a lot of things on the cheap
2: well they have sponsors don't they
1: yeah i think this one they're obviously not doing things on the cheap because han zimmer's doing the score and I'm, I'm imagining he's not cheap
2: be interesting to mi- see what kind of score sound he gives i do think david arnold's done a good job the other thing will be the clothes i hope the suits fit better
1: it looks good all the clips i've seen so far yeah, the suits
2: not too tight and short anymore.
1: oh mind you yeah he does get little tiny short suits doesn't he craig but he has got the Aston Martin from The Living Daylights in it.
2: Now, you see, again, they just put the, the Aston Martin in there. It didn't make too much of a song and dance about it, but it was that, and it did all the things, and it had a laser.
1: Oh, in this one? Yeah, in yeah, The Living Yeah, we should Daylights. have talked about that, yeah, it
2: had all, yeah. the, had all the 80s moments in it. It had a little mm. watch, mm. it had his laser. He used all the gadgets, too. And the
1: rocket booster to go over the roadblock. That was good. But in the new film, uh, he turns up, because um, I'm guessing he's been in Jamaica hiding for years, He he goes into his garage and pulls off a sheet and it's the Aston Martin from The Living Daylights. And he drives it out. I liked that. I'm very easily pleased, it turns out. (laughs) Especially as I came out of Spectre going, I don't want to ever watch any of these films ever again. Did Uh, you feel that? I did. I was really upset about it. I thought it was awful.
2: I think the trouble they've got with Bond is, how do you avoid him being Alan Partridge?
1: Yeah, but I think there's a balance. Oh, I know, that's who I like. I like Henry Cavill. Oh, that's interesting. I think he's very Roger Moore. I think he's very yeah. silly. Yeah,
2: did you see <clears> his <throat> Man From UNCLE?
1: Yeah, he was great at that. Yeah, that's a good that's And when good he's point. interviewed, he's very Roger Moore-y. He's very suave and smooth. He's English, isn't he? Yes, and he's really big. I think he'd be really fun. Um, so that would be my number one choice. So there's the ending on a high there. That is, yeah. Henry Cavill. Versus Tom Hiddleston. Versus Tom Hiddleston. He'd rip him apart. I disagree. (laughs) And on that note, on that bombshell, (laughs) thank you, Samira.
2: Thank you, John.
0: Oh,
1: hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us. Every day we do a podcast called Cabin Fever where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, it's Dave, were you yawning at the out. start of that sentence then? Was that just a little yawn? Yeah, especially the Great Big Owl Isolation Podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your ruler threes, your Brian and Rogers, your musicals, your bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting, because let's face it, they have got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bell. Alright, see you soon. Lots of love.
0: Cabin F-E-A-3709. that's our Twitter name. Great Big Owl.